Even parenting books provide conflicting advice on sleep training. Where does this leave the average parent? So it leaves the average parent feeling at best confused, at worst shamed for whatever choice they make. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Parenting Translator newsletter and podcast. I'm Dr. Kara Goodwin, and today I have a very exciting episode for you because I am going to be doing a deep dive into all of the research on sleep training. Um, I know this is a very hot topic, so I really wanted to do a thorough discussion of all of this research. And if you want more information on the research that I'm describing, please go to my newsletter, which you can find at parentingtranslator.substack.com. It seems that every parent and every parenting expert has an opinion on sleep training, and it usually involves one extreme or another. So either sleep training is essential to helping children learn how to sleep and quote-unquote self-soothe, or sleep training will irreparably harm your child and is basically equivalent to child abuse. Even parenting books provide conflicting advice. So about two-thirds of parenting books advise parents to use sleep training, and about one-third advise against it. So where does this leave the average parent? So it leaves the average parent feeling at best confused, at worst shamed for whatever choice they make. So what does the actual research say? Can diving into the research help us to understand why both sides of the debate claim to be backed by research? So this is a very extensive, in-depth overview of the research. And again, if you want to read more details on the studies that I'm describing, please go to my substack, which is parentingtranslator.substack.com. So first, I want to talk about the different sleep training methods. So it's really important to talk about this first because every study that's out there defines sleep training in a slightly different way. So in nearly all of the more recent high-quality studies, sleep training is not what you think it is, which is the strict cry it out, aka shut the door and let your infant cry until they fall asleep. Um, Sleep training in the research actually involves a more gentle, gradual approach, and this is what most researchers and experts recommend. So the sleep training methods that we'll be discussing are first what's called extinction, which is the strict cry it out method. So this approach typically involves parent putting the child to bed awake at a particular time, and then leaving the room, ignoring all cries or calling out until the morning. And most more recent research studies do not use this stricter version of sleep training. The next method that I will be talking about is called modified extinction, or I'll call it the checking in method. And so this is one of the most popular sleep training approaches, and it has many names in the research. And when you read about it on the internet or wherever else, um, it can also be called intermittent responding or spaced soothing. Um, This approach varies across different studies, but typically what happens is the parents put the child to bed awake and then leave the room and ignore any cries or calling out for a specific period of time. And then they come back and check in on the child at this specific schedule. So it could be every five minutes, or it could be progressively longer intervals, like 
five minutes and then 10 minutes and then 15 minutes. So this checking in procedure could involve a very brief visit to the child's room with verbal reassurance. It could involve um, replacing a sleep aid, such as a pacifier or lovey, or helping the child to get into a more comfortable sleeping position. Parents continue this procedure until the child falls asleep, and then again at any nighttime awakenings. The next sleep training approach that I'll be discussing is called camping out or parental presence. So this camping out method is similar to checking in, except for the parent is present throughout the night. So the idea behind this approach is that parental presence may be less distressing for some infants. So in this approach, parents spend the night sleeping next to the crib on a separate bed or mattress. So that's why it's called camping out because you're basically camping out in your child's room. Parents provide brief verbal reassurance. They replace sleep aids such as a pacifier and they help the child to get into a comfortable position every few minutes if the child cries or protests. Then the parent returns to their own space in the room like the mattress on the floor. After several days of camping out, the parents may then gradually remove their presence for the room, first during the nighttime awakenings and then at bedtime. The next approach that I'll be talking about is called bedtime feeding. And this approach, it sounds so simple, it involves delaying bedtime until a time when the child will fall asleep quickly and independently. And bedtime is then gradually moved forward to the desired time by moving it 15 to 30 minutes earlier every night, typically. Um, and parents typically do not alter their response to nighttime awakening. So you can still, you know, feed, do whatever you're doing in the middle of the night. Finally, a lot of studies use something that is called sleep education or positive routines. And this idea is just providing parents with some positive routines, like a consistent bedtime. Um, in some of them, it can involve putting the baby down while they're still awake um, and just providing general education to parents about what is typical for the sleep of infants and toddlers. So next, I would like to talk about the limitations of sleep training research. So sleep training research is really complicated, and it's complicated because we can't just compare families who choose to sleep train with the families who do not because these families are different in a lot of other ways, and they probably make different sorts of parenting decisions that may impact child outcome. So we can't just compare those two families. What we really need to do is randomly assign some parents to sleep train and some parents not to sleep train, and then look at differences in the outcomes between those two groups. So this is called a randomized controlled trial. Unfortunately, we do have randomized controlled trials of sleep training, but the problem is that for ethical reasons, you can't really force such an important parenting decision. So most of these studies, even if the parent is assigned to the sleep training group, it's not really forced upon them. So they're provided with information about sleep training, but the researchers are not going to be present at their house making sure they implement the procedure. Similarly, um, in these studies, when a parent is randomly assigned to a control group for ethical reasons, researchers can't really force them to not sleep train. So 
if a parent is sleep deprived and even though they're there in the control group, they might end up sleep training anyways, even though they didn't get the same information about sleep training. They, it's very easy to find this information on the internet and books, so they might end up sleep training anyways. So basically in these studies, what you have is you have a group, a sleep training group and a control group. Some of the sleep training group sleep trains, some does not probably. And some of the control group sleep trains, some does not. So you're comparing these two groups that in practice might not actually be that different. The other problem is that most sleep training interventions also provide parents with additional support. So they have the chance to check in with a nurse. They have the chance to develop a sleep consultation plan with um, you know, some sort of qualified professional. So they're getting this individualized support. And they're also getting really important information about these positive routines, like a bedtime routine that I discussed. So it's unclear whether the results from the study are related to the additional support they got or to the support around sleep training itself. So this means when the studies that I'll describe find differences, it's possible that they may be related to the additional support that the intervention group received. When they find no differences, it's possible that this is because the intervention and control groups are actually not that different because some may be using some form of sleep training. So please just keep those limitations in mind as I discuss some of these results. So the first question you might have is, does sleep training actually work? So does sleep training actually result in children sleeping better? So this is the key question, right? Um, so Research broadly finds that sleep training methods improve sleep for infants according to parent report, but it's less clear whether they actually improve sleep according to objective measures of actual sleep time. So a review study that was conducted in 2006 found that 82% of children show clinically significant improvement in sleep with sleep training. But most of these studies relied on parent report. So parent report is limited in this case because the babies could still be waking up and just not crying out for their parents. Um, and also parent report is likely to be biased in this situation because the parents have invested a lot of time and energy and emotion into sleep training. So they want it to work, right? So we... We have a few randomized controlled trials, which again, randomized controlled trials are the highest quality research um, study design. And we have a few that use objective measures of sleep. So that's really what we're interested in because we're not relying on the biased parent report. So these objective measures of sleep are called actigraphy. And this is data from monitors that the infants wear that shows whether or not they actually wake up. So one randomized control trial of sleep training with six to eight-month-olds who have a reported sleep problem randomly assigned parents to either get instruction on the checking-in method that I described above or infant safety. And they also got important information like having a bedtime routine and that later bedtimes don't always mean more sleep. Um, and interestingly, the researchers found that although the parents reported their babies were waking up less frequently, sleep actigraphy actually found that the babies in the sleep training group were waking up just as often. 
However, the actigraphy did find that the sleep-trained babies slept longer for the first period of sleep before waking. Um, On average, they slept about 16 minutes longer. And after the intervention, 4% of the sleep training group reported that their child still had a sleep problem, while 14% of the control group did. But this study had some important limitations. So the intervention group got information about sleep training, but it's unclear if they actually followed those instructions. And it's also unclear whether it was sleep training or learning about other important sleep information, um, such as bedtime routines that resulted in slightly different or slightly longer sleep times. Um, And the researchers also didn't know whether the parents in the control group used sleep training or not. Um, Another randomized controlled trial, um, which was a larger trial, found that um, they, so this trial used both the checking in and bedtime feeding methods. And they found that the groups, the two sleep training groups slept better according to parent report, but no differences according to objective measures. So another commonly asked question is, whether sleep training methods actually lead to long-lasting changes. So um, it seems we're seeing some modest changes, maybe at least according to parent report in the short term, but what about long-term? So um, one randomized control trial followed children for five years, and they found that, so the first report at 10 to 12 months, they found that 56% of mothers at 10 months and 39% of mothers at 12 months still reported that their child had a sleep problem even after sleep training. A follow-up study found that the difference between the intervention and the control group um, faded by age two. So at age two years, the researchers found that 27% of the intervention group and 33% of the control group still reported that their child had a sleep problem. Um, and that difference was not significant. And another study, so another follow-up study found no difference in reported sleep problems at three or four years. And in the final follow-up at six years, the researchers found no difference in sleep between the two groups, including whether the parents reported sleep problems or differences in their child's sleep habits. So the overall translation from this is sleep training may result in modest temporary improvements in at least parent-reported sleep, Um, but it doesn't seem to be a silver bullet that reduces all sleep problems and always results in a child learning to sleep through the night. Sleep training is also unlikely to result in long-term improvements in sleep. So sleep training an infant does not mean that your child is guaranteed to be a good sleeper as a toddler or a preschooler, and not sleep training an infant does not mean that they will be a poor sleeper as a toddler or preschooler. So how do you interpret this? Some sleep-deprived parents may conclude from this data that parent-reported improvements in sleep and the possibility of 15 extra minutes of sleep is very significant to their quality of life and will decide to sleep train. However, other parents may conclude that sleep training may not be worth it without consistent evidence for objective, long-lasting improvements in sleep. In summary, it is really up to you whether or not it is worth it to sleep train your child in terms of what you gain in uh, in terms of their improved sleep. 
So what about for babies six months and younger? So it's very important to mention that we do not have sufficient evidence that sleep training is effective before six months. So we have um, a few studies looking at this and they do not show any evidence that for children before six months, any type of sleep intervention will have any sort of positive impact on their sleep. So does sleep training cause stress for infants? And I get into the details of these studies, which look at um, cortisol, which is the stress hormone in our bodies. But just to give you the summary, um, we have some conflicting evidence about cortisol during sleep training. But the timing of when these studies have measured cortisol has not been great. So ideally, we want to look at cortisol during the sleep training. And most studies have not measured cortisol during um, sleep training. The one study that we have that did look at cortisol during sleep training was conducted in a hospital setting with nurses putting the baby to sleep. So they were separated from their mother. So that was understandably going to be more stressful. So we don't know whether sleep training is stressful for infants or not based on the research we have. Many different factors may impact an infant's cortisol, and we need further research before concluding that sleep training has a negative impact or that it has a negligible impact on infant's cortisol. Um, So does sleep training have any long-term negative impacts that we know about? So there have been a few studies that have followed children, and um, one study looked at one year after sleep training and looked at um, parent-child attachment, which is a real question. Does sleep training cause any differences in parent-child attachment? And this study found no difference in the patterns of parent-child attachment after sleep training. They also found no difference in child emotional behavioral problems one year later, but this study had very small sample sizes, so less than 15 children per group. And again, it's unclear how different the sleep training group and the control groups really were in practice. Um, The control group in this study, for example, was also advised to put their child to bed a week, which may have in the end resulted in sleep training. Um, Another study um, involved larger sample sizes and followed participants for longer. So in this study, they found that two years after sleep training, the sleep training group did not show any differences in child mental health or parenting practices at two years. When they followed up with the group at three to four years, they found no difference in child behavior or family functioning between the groups. And at the six-year follow-up, the researchers found no difference in any measure of child mental health or any measure of the child-parent relationship, um, including child um, emotional or behavioral problems, parent-child closeness, quality of life, child stress, and parenting styles. However, as discussed above, this study had many of the same limitations. So it's unclear the extent to which the sleep training group actually engaged in sleep training and to the extent to which the control group did not. And the researchers reported that many of the families in the intervention group opted out of the checking in sleep intervention and instead chose bedtime feeding or other methods, such as creating a bedtime routine, or they opted out of meeting with the nurse entirely. 
The control group also had a sleep consultation with a nurse, so the nurse was not specifically trained in these sleep techniques, but could still have recommended similar strategies. Um, So this research we have so far really provides no evidence for long-term harms from sleep training. However, these studies all have serious limitations that make it difficult to assume that these results are conclusive. Some parents may look at this research and decide they need more evidence from higher quality studies before concluding that sleep training has no negative outcomes. And some parents may look at this and feel comfortable choosing sleep training for their family, particularly when sleep deprivation is having a real negative impact on family functioning. So does sleep training improve parent mental health? So this is a very important question that we should not overlook. So research does find that sleep training may reduce symptoms of maternal depression. However, it's unclear whether it is a treat sleep training itself or the individualized support provided as part of the sleep training that improves mental health. Providing parents with any type of plan for addressing their child's sleep likely improves parents' self-efficacy, which is the idea that you are capable of resolving your child's sleep issues. And research finds that increasing self-efficacy improves parent mental health. So this research suggests that simply coming up with a plan to address your child's sleep problems may benefit mental health. So is sleep training the only option you have for improving your child's sleep? So many parents don't feel comfortable with sleep training and they want to know what are some other things that I can try instead or that I can try before attempting sleep training. So first is implementing a consistent, predictable bedtime routine. So research consistently finds over and over again that having a consistent, predictable bedtime routine improves children's sleep. And one study even found it can improve sleep in as short as three nights. So this, a bedtime routine really does make a difference. Um, Second, seek help from others. When parents were asked about the strategies of the sleep intervention they found the most helpful, most reported it was just having someone to talk to. So if you're struggling with your child's sleep, talk to someone, whether it's a pediatrician, a sleep consultant, or simply a trusted friend. Talk to somebody about it. You can also just do nothing and wait for your child's sleep to get better. So it's important to remember that sleeping through the night is, or sorry, not sleeping through the night is normal for infants and toddlers. So um, most mothers report that their child is not sleeping through the night at six months. 43% of mothers report at 12 months their child is not sleeping through the night. So if your child is not sleeping through the night, it is okay to just let it resolve with development if that is what works for you. Um, You can also try a more quote-unquote gentle or responsive method. So the bedtime fading method does have some research backing it up. So this involves delaying bedtime until a time that the child will fall asleep more quickly and independently, and then gradually moving bedtime to a more optimal time. There was also a small study of um, a new more responsive method where the parents put the baby down in the crib awake and then patted or stroked them until they fell asleep. And after a few nights of this, the parents then used only verbal reassurance to help soothe the baby. The parents then gradually move closer to the door every night and eventually leave the room for short short periods of time while providing verbal reassurance. So what is the overall translation here? 
So in summary, research finds no impact of sleep training on any measure of child development or the parent-child relationship. This research suggests that sleep training may not be harmful to kids, but also that it may not be necessary. We have no evidence that you need to sleep train to have a good sleeper or that it helps children to learn to self-soothe in the long run. In other words, parents should feel free to make whatever choice that they feel is best for their children and their family. There are some serious methodological issues with the sleep training research that we have so far that might make some parents feel hesitant, while other parents may feel totally comfortable pushing forward. The decision to sleep train or not is based on a lot of factors that are no one's business but your own including how your family functions and your own mental health and sleep needs as a parent. So there is no right or wrong answer. We also have no evidence that a particular approach works better than others. So there is also no right or wrong way to sleep train. Because most studies combine different methods and also include some basic sleep strategies, such as a bedtime routine, it is unclear which method is ideal and whether different methods may be more or less effective for different children. It is clear from the research that sleep training is not a silver bullet that cures all sleep problems. Some sleep training methods may work for some children and not for others. Have confidence that you know your child best, that you are the expert on your child, and choose what is best for your child and your family. Parenting Translator is a nonprofit organization, so all of these podcasts and the information they provide are given to you for free. If you would like to support our work, please subscribe to this podcast and rate and review it. Thank you so much.